Welcome back to All Things Red. On today's episode, I have Gabby Morrow. Uh, Gabby, how are we doing? I am good. How are you today? I'm good. good. Um, you know, this is kind of last minute. Back on from uh, a couple conversations we had. I thought you'd be happy you're doing this. I greatly appreciate it. Um, and then for those that don't know you or have no idea who you are, who who, who are you? What are you about? Oh, that's a tough question <laughs> already right off the bat because I feel like I have like a hundred different identities and personalities, but uh, my name's Gabby. My full-time job is I'm a third grade elementary school teacher, um, but I also on the side coach competitive cheerleading I work at a local gym as a personal trainer, um, big into the fitness industry, big foodie, love to travel, huge Bills fan, Bills Mafia. Yeah, that's that's about it. Well, I figure everyone got to have on introduce themselves because I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like it's easier <laughs> you and if you and I need to like misrepresent. <laughs> but um, – so you you teach you're an elementary school teacher at what you went to school for it is i went to niagara for uh childhood and special education um for my undergrad and then i actually went to canisius for my master's for physical education and i did that because i felt like kind of goes into like the fitness side of my passion but then also like still sticks within education was that something you always wanted to do so like when a hundred percent I was that kid that would take all the extra copies from my teacher and bring them home so I could use them in my uh classroom that I set up in the basement of my house (laughs) I do my thought process when I was I cannot believe someone would dedicate their entire life to doing this because I hate being <laughs> in school. Um, I thought school was easy, which we'll get to. In- um, but I was just like, why? Like, I cannot wait till the bell rings. I can't wait to graduate. I can't wait to get the hell out of here. Why in the right mind would you actually want to spend the rest of your life in school again? But then as I got older and then a couple of buddies of mine, um, our teachers and stuff, I've realized that not it's not that it's that you can from like teachers i've had you can have a significant impact on kids and then later in life things that they end up doing could come uh indirectly from how you taught them and how you were with them in the classroom is that like kind of what you were thinking or was it completely different yeah no i was gonna say like you're honestly the prime example of why i wanted to become a teacher i was always that student that enjoyed school but i feel like i always enjoyed school more when i had teachers that like like went out of their way and acted like they care whether that was in third grade or that was in high school looking at it now from a perspective of this was my first full year in a classroom where i wasn't online at all because of covid so i had an entire year with my kids and to see like they're eight years old. So like you think to yourself, how much progress can eight year old really make? Well, it is crazy to look at one, like the first day of school and the way that these kids are interacting with each other to the last day of school 
something that I was really big on in my classroom was just like pushing being kind to one another with all the crap we have going on in the world I feel like to me like that's the most important thing and by the end of the year I'm getting like thank you cards from my students that are saying like um I'll always remember to be kind like now I know like I took a year out of my life to like really install in these kids like being good to one another and yeah cool we can learn how to multiply we can learn how to divide all that stuff that you have to learn in school but at the end of the day like I wanted to be a teacher because I wanted to teach these kids like how to be good to each other do you see like a lot of bullying that goes on and like peer pressure oh my god yes I mean like I said I teach third grade so you think oh what are you really doing in third grade like these kids can't be mean to each other oh my gosh like the situations that I've dealt with this year specifically are things I would have never ever imagined third graders talking about doing to each other so yeah unfortunately like it's so bad do you think that comes from the parents so obviously like parents aren't teaching their kids to bully kids be mean to kids and stuff like that but I've, in my opinion, I wouldn't like debate anyone on this and I wouldn't like go be blasting it on social media just because I don't know. I don't think people I'm, I'm the person that's going to change people's thoughts or anything. But like, I think that as a kid, how you act comes from like how your parents raise you. And so like what I mean by that is that my mom, my mom had me when she was young. And she always instead like she built my self esteem, like she always told me I was the greatest always whatever I wanted to do, but did it in a way where I didn't have a big head and I wasn't full of myself, but I was just very confident in who I was. So like, I never really was peer pressured. I never got peer pressured into doing things. I never really bullied any kids. And then the one time a kid did try to bully me, um, a teacher overheard me say this and I had to go to the principal's office. My mom had to come to school. I think this was in fourth grade. Um, a kid was trying to get me to give him lunch money and I wouldn't do it. And he was like, I'm going to beat you up. And I'm like, that's not going to work because I'm going to beat you up. You're going to get mad and still be mad at me. And it's not going to resolve anything. So just ask mom, (laughs) just ask your mom for some money. Um, But that like looking back on it, I think it comes from like how my mom raised me. Do you think that that has an effect on kids is like what their home life is results or like manifests in like peer pressuring other kids, bullying kids, like from a teacher's point of view? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that I've noticed from not, I feel like I can look at this two different ways. You can look at it from the teacher aspect where I feel like the kids that were the issues, the ones that were the problems, the ones that created the problems either had a rough home life or their parents like didn't really have the interaction with them or their parents would kind of play it off as like, oh, not my kid. My kid would never do that. So I feel like Yes, but then also looking at it from the flip point of like me going through school, like I told I know I've told you this in conversation before. I literally transferred high schools because I couldn't take how mean some of these girls were, and a lot of it I look back on it and I'm like, my parents would have literally hung me by my damn toes if I was ever mean to somebody. Whereas these girls that were being so nasty to me on social media, freaking throwing chocolate milk on my head in the middle of lunch in front of the whole school. Like their parents didn't give two rat asses about what they were doing. Whereas my parents, like they would never let me get away with that. Yeah. We're just, so when you, um, and I don't know if this is too personal to ask, cause I have a similar situation. I know we're bouncing off topic in a second, but when you transferred, where did you transfer from the aspect of like you legitimately like, 
last time, like your self-esteem was hurting, like you just, you felt horrible about yourself because of those kids like trying to bully you or bullying you? Or were you just like straight up like, fuck this, I mean, why am I here? No, uh, we can definitely talk about this. And honestly, like, this is probably the first time since high school I've really like talked about it. And I, I feel so different talking about it now than if you were to ask me when I was a junior in high school. But I literally remember saying to my parents, like, I can't go back. Like, there's no way in hell that I could walk through those doors again with, like, it was so bad from, like, social media shit to, like, people in the hallways. Like, I was I was always that girl in high school that, like, hung out with the guys because I, like, was into sports and I couldn't deal with all the girl drama and whatever. But I got to a point where I literally felt so crappy about myself the way that I would walk into school and hang my head like there was just no way so I told my parents like I would literally rather be homeschooled than have to go back to school which I'm a teacher now like that's crazy for me to say like I don't want to go to school because I love school but then I transferred and honestly like I wish I would have transferred earlier because I ended up going to St. Mary's in Lancaster and uh, I met my best friends there like it was one of those schools where I didn't have to care I wore a uniform every day the guys were great like it was awesome. So I definitely like I look back on it. And I am thankful that I went through all of that because I think it's made me have a different philosophy on teaching. It's made me have a different philosophy on the way I treat people that I see every single day. And I'm not saying that people have to like, go through getting bullied. But sometimes I think going through something crappy, like actually kind of forms you into who you are and what you want to do with your life. So as crappy as it was at the time, I'm thankful for it. No, that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, I'm always curious how people handle that. Because obviously, like, when you're in your own environment, it's easy to say like, oh, I don't care about it. It's not that big of a deal. The only reason I say that is because I jokingly always say my own family bullies me. But that's just like how we are with each other. Like we are always like shitting on each other, but it's in a loving way. Um, so the worst that I'll ever receive is like from my own family. But again, it's not as bad as I like might be making it seem. Um, and when I trans so the first the first school I was at, um, which if people know me, they know what school I'm going to name names. But um, I transferred. I didn't transfer solely because I didn't like I was getting bullied or anything. But it was more so of like I didn't fit in. And because I didn't fit in and I refused to fit in. And when I say refused to fit in, it was more so of like just be like, oh, OK, peer pressure given to what the vibe of like those kids were. Trying to do. I was like, this is fucking whack. Why am I here? And out of here like I left um but I'm always like I always wonder like what that stems from because I could definitely see how most people like like you said like you're like I want to get out of here but they feel stuck and they don't know what to do and they don't enjoy mm -hmm. like where they're going whereas me I looked at it and I'm just like okay college is four years long I've already here and I knew after my first semester I didn't want to stay here but I decided to because you know how your parents are always like oh we'll stick it out things could get better you don't want to just constantly bounce around type thing um yeah. but going into my junior year I'm like this is whack like I got two years left of college I'm gonna go somewhere where I know I'm gonna enjoy myself so that's ultimately why I left but I'm always curious especially you being a teacher you talking to kids and stuff like what what it is in kids that makes them fold and I don't even think I use the proper terminology there but um when kids do go through that in the classroom and stuff like that do like do you ever ask them like about their home life or do you just try to console them on like what the topic or situation is at hand that's upsetting them um I definitely do like I think that 
it's tough because they are so young. So sometimes they kind of struggle to like figure out the right way to tell me what's going on. But I noticed like I had one student this year, I'll literally never forget it, who I could read that student like a book. And sometimes she just literally needed a hug. Like that was it. Like I would just be like, are you okay? And she would be like, no. And I just give her a hug. And just to know that like I was there for her and something as simple as a hug could make the day better. Um, But I think a lot of times, like, it comes from just the teachers being willing to take that extra two minutes when you dismiss your class to say, okay, go line up in the hallway for lunch. And then you say to your student, like, hey, come here for a second. How are you doing today? Like, just kind of checking in with them. I feel like a lot, not a lot of teachers, but some teachers, like, don't take that extra few seconds to, like, try to really learn about their students or pick up when they're on an off day. So, and I, I feel like, like I said, sometimes it is tough because they are so young. I can't 100% tell what's going on in their home life. But if I do think that it's, I mean, we have parent-teacher conferences. I communicate via email all the time. I have like a thing, an app that I use that I post pictures of my kids or their parents to see. And sometimes it's kind of easy to tell if something's going on because you'll have a parent that's like not super interactive or you'll have the flip side of it where a parent is super interactive and you can have a phone call with them. So I think it just depends on the situation. And if you as a teacher are willing to go that extra mile and kind of like dive into what's actually going on. No, that that makes a lot of sense. How are you with, um, how are you with kids that are very energetic and like high energy? Cause I had, when I was a kid, um, my mom told me not recently, but she's told me before that a lot of my elementary school teachers were always like, Hey, you should tested like he might have ADD and she's like he doesn't have ADD he's a kid like kids have energy and they're like no like he's very like he's very rambunctious and she's like well he's an only child he has no siblings at home it's just him and I so school to him is like Christmas day so (laughs) when like how how I mean I don't even know if like you've experienced that situation but like how there's a kid that's like he's not a bad kid, but he's very high energy. He's distracting. He's, you know, getting other, he's like the class clown kind of, um, not saying I was a class clown, but what, how are you with those kids? Like when you conferences and stuff, cause I feel like, um, and again, this like goes all the way up to like high school, college. And then like you hear, I'm kind of going all over the place here. Like when they go to like therapy, when they're adults, you always hear like, Oh, it's, a lot of the things you do as an adult comes from your like childhood trauma. And Mm -hmm. I had, I know a lot of people who, whose parents were always like, you know, kids are meant to be seen, not heard, um, do as you're told. And like, they grew up and that's manifested in their adulthood of like, Oh, well, I was always told this is bad. I was always told that's bad. Whereas like how my mom raised me was like, always be respectful do what you need to do other than that be yourself so I think like that is why like I have such an outrageous personality is from I definitely see in a lot of friends I have that are very like quiet people unless you really get to know them it stems from like when they were younger and they stop talking stop doing this stop that stop that and it manifested in their adulthood so like circling that back as a teacher, how are you in those situations when you do have a kid that is a good kid, but he's just like, he's not focused on school. He's trying to make every other kid laugh. He's disrupting the class. Like what, what goes on there? It's so funny when you ask me these questions, because I literally picture my students and you like describe them to a T. It's so funny. 
So I had a group that was like that this year. And honestly, I love that, like love those types of students. And I think that maybe it's because I'm like younger. I mean, I'm the youngest on my team of teachers by like 20 something years. Like it's actually crazy how much younger I am. But I think that that's good because I feel like I'm bringing a lot of like the new generation styles of teaching into my classroom. So for example, like every day we have the same schedule. We would at one point in the day, like go out for recess. If we can go outside, I'd love to take them outside so they can run around the playground like crazy kids because <laughs> they need to get that energy out. Then they come in and they go to lunch. And then when we get back, we go like right into reading and writing. And sometimes I think it's really hard to kind of like rein the kids back in and be able to like sit down and focus and listen to a teacher read a book for 15 minutes after they had recess and lunch. So we do something every day. It's called a brain break. And uh, there's just like different videos and things that they would do. So for example, the one that my kids loved is that we would split the, the class in half, whether it was boys, girls, whether it was odd numbers, even numbers, whatever color they were wearing, whatever. And they would be on teams and like a question would come up on the board and it would be like, um, uh, who was the first president of the United States? And it would be a multiple choice question. They would shout out the answer and they would get points. But the whole time that they're answering questions, there's like an exercise or an activity that both teams have to do. So say it's jumping jacks. They have to be doing jumping jacks the whole time or they have to be running in place. And as stupid as it sounds like they literally love it. And if I were to even remotely forget to do one of those activities, they like get mad. They're like, Miss Morrow, like we forgot to do our brain break. So they like got into that routine of getting that extra 10 to 15 minutes of exercise. And I would say to like my teammates or any other teacher, like, oh, is that on curriculum? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Not exactly, but do my kids need that in order to be able to focus or to just actually like enjoy what they're doing and not even realize that they're learning something while they're doing it? A hundred percent. And I've had conversations with parents when they say like, oh my God, Susie Chapstick is crazy at home. Like all she does, <laughs> why are you laughing at Susie Chapstick? <laughs> yeah, that's just an outrageous name. And it's just funny you said that, but continue. <laughs> I use, I literally use it all the time. But Susie Chapstick is crazy at home. I can't figure out how to get her to relax. Like I tell them these things that we do and they're like, oh my God, that's so genius. And to me, it's like, now I'm literally just doing my job. Like it's something so small that I can do every day that I think really helps those kids that they're not a bad kid. They just have that extra energy and to take five or 10 minutes to let them get, get it out while also having fun. It's like a win-win for all of us. No, totally. Um, and I, in second grade, I had a teacher, um, I'm not going to name her name, but she doesn't even teach anymore because they found out the school found out she didn't even have a teacher's um but yeah this was but I was this is when I was living in the city so this was like a Buffalo City school um this was years ago too um but I was always talking because like I said I'm an only child and I was when I was in school I was like oh my gosh I'm around other people like I'm I didn't care about school I just wanted to have fun and be a kid and so she called my mom one day in class and was like I like hi Miss Antonio um and she's like is something wrong she's like no um your son is very, just will not stop talking and is interrupting my class. And my mom's thinking like, first of all, why are you calling me at work? Second of all, you're like, this is what you're calling me for. And she gave the phone to me and she's like, John. And I'm like, yes, mommy. (laughs) And she's like, are you talking? She's like, are you talking too much? And I'm like, yes, mommy. And she's like, okay, can you please stop? And I'm like, yes, mommy. Okay. Bye. Love you. 
And, but I look back at that teacher and I think like how she taught her class. Um, Cause in second grade, you could still remember things. Um, and it was very like military style. Like this is what we're doing today. Don't talk, don't speak, don't, don't make a, like, don't do whatever. Like just what I'm writing on the board is what you need to learn. And that's it. Do you think that teachers that take the approach of making learning fun versus my job is to just educate you and solely that um like make a bigger impact on on kids a hundred percent a hundred percent i've noticed like i remember i don't maybe you'll even know what i'm talking about i think back to like the pythagorean theorem in high school when my teacher would like give me a song to remember like what the pythagorean theorem is and as stupid as it is like that was fun and i'm now 24 years old, a teacher myself, and I still remember that. Or the other day, my friends and I were joking around about, um, like, the 50 states. And I was like, I could never remember the 50 states. Like, that's so hard. My one friend was like, dude, I literally know an entire song where I could list all the 50 states, like, in order alphabetically. And she, like, sang the entire song. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're, like, 26, 27 years old, and you can remember that. And it's because their teachers, when they were younger, made learning fun. And I... We'll never forget my first uh, first year, end of the year, I had one student, God bless his soul, because at the beginning of the year, I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to survive. Like, there's just literally no way that I'm going to get through this year. Like, this kid was just tough, really tough. By the end of the year, his dad reached out to me and he was like, I cannot believe the progress that my student has made. And the number one thing he said that he appreciated about your room is you made learning fun. And he was, I swear to God, John, I'm not even kidding. I think this kid was smarter than me. Like he is an eight-year-old that could tell you 42 times 72 in four seconds, like just wicked smart. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm supposed to keep up with someone that is eight years old and literally smarter than me. But I just did everything I could to like find things that interested him or find ways to like make multiplication fun, make division fun, make learning about fractions fun. And to see like how much more students are engaged without even realizing that they're learning. I think that that's huge because who literally wants to sit there and like do a worksheet on multiplication? Nobody wants to do that. But if you can find a way to like turn it into a game or turn it into like a fun exercise activity on top of learning fractions, I feel like kids can connect with that so much more. No, absolutely. See, like how I was is because like I said, my mom had me young. So I was always around adults when I was really younger. Um, and my cousins, my cousins are a couple years younger than me. My two cousins, I, like I said, I was around adults. So I was the kid and I actually had a former um, teacher of mine, Miss Crystal. I'll give her a shout out because she's an absolute legend. Um, Miss <laughs> Crystal, my uncle was getting inducted to the baseball hall of fame and some of her kids were playing, I believe in the tournament or, um, or against his team and, when they were doing the opening ceremony, she saw me and she was like, like John Antonio. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, hi, do you remember? I'm like, yes, Miss Crystal. How could I not remember you? And she's like talking to my mom and asking her, you know, you know what I've been up to, what she's been up to. And then I stepped away from the conversation for a second and I came back and um, my mom's like, yeah, Miss Crystal was just asking like, if you went to school and if you went to college and I was like, yeah, why would I not go to college? And then she's like, well, John, do you not remember? She's like, anytime we would assignments or reading or anything you were just like I don't why do I need to do this my I know I know adults that don't do this so how is this teaching me the real world and she's like thinking to myself like okay 
you're nine years old. You should not be saying this to a teacher, but obviously there are kids that are like that. Um, so what is like with kids that are, I know we kind of touched on similar things, but like kids that are um, combative and like wanting to do assignments or participate, how do you get them to like buy into it? With her, I was always like, I want to go to the gym to play or I want to go to recess. And she's like, well, read, read five more pages. And I'm like, how about I read one page? And then I go, <laughs> she's like, no, like you need to do this. And I was just so like, no, I'm not doing this. Like school's stupid. So like for those kids that are like that, obviously it falls on the parents as well. But when they're in your classroom and in your environment, how do you get them to like buy in and like participate? Oh, I can definitely tell you I'm still working on it <laughs> because okay. it's tough. It's tough. I mean, there are times that I've tried things and they've, I'll be the first one to admit they absolutely failed. They totally did not work. And then I'm sitting there like, shit, like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I've only got so many ideas, but then I don't know. I feel like a lot of it comes with like choice, like giving a student like, okay, well, let's say they're the writing topic they don't like. Okay. Well, what's something that you want to write about? And then see if you can like kind of turn it towards, I would always try to like ask them questions and say like, okay, well, would you rather do this or would you rather do that? Rather than saying like, you have to do this. Cause I honestly think sometimes it's just defiance. Like they just don't feel like doing what they're told. And I mean, I get it. There were definitely times in school and in, especially in college where I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, why do I have to do this? I would do it just because I was that kind of student, but not everybody was like me. So I think, a lot of it comes down to choice. A lot of it comes to picking and choosing your battles. Whereas like, is it, I don't know if it's like something that's you can get by without them doing or finding a way to like tweak what they're doing so that they're willing to do it. I think that's a way, but like I said, I feel like that is the number one thing that I think I still need to work on as a teacher is figuring out like what to do and how to handle situations when kids just either a straight up don't want to do it or sometimes they don't want to do it because they don't know how, like you might give them a multiplication sheet and they still don't know how to multiply. And instead of them telling you like, Miss Morrow, I don't understand this. They'll just kind of put up that front of like, I don't want to do it because they don't understand. So I think that's a really good question. I think that that's something that I need to work on more myself. And I think talking to my colleagues and talking to teachers that have been in the industry for a long time and just kind of seeing where they are, I think, that's going to be really the only thing that'll help me because that's tough. No, totally. How you said COVID, what were, <sighs> what were the struggles of that? Cause I could own, I imagine I said to my, I said to my mom, like, I'm glad that I didn't have to experience COVID in college. Cause my last year I was at Mercyhurst. I didn't play any sports. And if I had to go through a COVID semester, I would have dropped out. 1000%. But obviously, <laughs> but that's totally different than teaching elementary school kids. So like, for like, what were the like, what were the struggles? And like, what were all the things that you had to come up with to keep kids um, engaged during COVID? Oh, my God. So I actually got the double whammy. I was in college when COVID started and then got my first job teaching while COVID was happening. So it was like, horrible. So I was in my senior year at Niagara on D1 cheerleading about to go to nationals we were like looking literally like that was going to be the year that we were about to go down and like whoop ass like totally thought we had it in the bag I remember we were on our way home from New Jersey for the MAC basketball tournament and they announced that nationals was canceled because of COVID and that the rest of the semester was going to be online and I 
I'm in the middle of student teaching, which I kind of saw like my whole life, like it felt like it died in front of my eyes. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm not going to be able to finish student teaching where realistically out of all the things in college, I think student teaching was the thing that taught me the most because you're physically in the classroom, like learning everything. So now I'm screwed there. So didn't, I mean, I graduated, but didn't get to walk the stage, didn't get to do any of that fun stuff because of COVID. Then I get my first teaching job and I'm like, oh my God, like this is going to be sick. Like I'm going to be able to have students. This is going to be great. Well, um, little did I know when I signed up for the job that it was going to turn into a fully remote position and I was teaching special ed. So you can only imagine how fun that was. Mm -hmm. So I went an entire year from September all the way through June, co-teaching with another third grade teacher and another fourth grade teacher. So I was like hopping back and forth between two classes, completely virtual on Zoom. That was the most wild thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like actually trying to keep any human, whether they're eight or 25 years old, through a six hour school day to pay attention through Zoom and not be distracted is like, trying to make an elephant jump through a hula hoop like you just it's like literally impossible but I mean I did I'm very tech savvy I always call myself like a tech nerd where I was the one that was going online finding different fun resources or kind of what I said with like those videos where I was getting kids up in my classroom now and moving we would do those and we would just share our screen and I think a lot of it came from having to make our students get up and do something so get up and do exercises or go find something, go find an object in your house. You have 20 seconds, go. And they would go find an object and then come back. And that's what we would have them write about. But the hardest part was just the kids that either <laughs> muted me. So they had no idea what was going on the whole time. <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> and you could tell because I would be like, John, John, can you hear me? And he, or you get not like a blank stare or you're in the middle of a lesson. You just see some kid like randomly laughing. Like, obviously I can tell you're watching YouTube. Like you're not paying attention to me at all. But like, what are you supposed to do? Like I can't hop through the screen and like close out your tab for you. Some kids were a lot, <laughs> I don't want to say smarter than others, but like found ways to like manipulate the system. They could like mute their tabs or, Oh my God, I have to tell this story. Cause it's going to make me laugh. I had this one kid who the girl that I co-taught with, like we could not figure out what was going on every day, right when the lesson would start, his camera would freeze and it would make no <laughs> sense because it was the same spot every day. Like, dude, I know you're doing something. I can't figure out what it is. So me and the girl I'm teaching with are like talking to each other. Like, what do we think it is? So we contact mom. We're just like, Hey, can you just like watch him today and like, see if you could figure out what's going on, why his camera's freezing at one forty every single day. Well, of course, the day that mom sits there, his camera doesn't freeze. So now we know that he's doing something. Turns out he was taking his Apple Pencil and sticking it in the charging port of his Mac, and that would make his camera freeze. Like, <laughs> what eight-year-old figures that out? So, like, you are doing having to go through all these different hurdles. I would say it was, without a doubt, the most challenging experience of my life. But looking back on it, I think it taught me patience. <laughs> how to deal with 38 year olds that are half of them are more tech savvy than me. I think it taught me like an appreciation for like actual genuine connections between teachers and students. And just like, I don't know, like if I could get through that as a teacher, as a first year teacher, mind you, 
I can literally get through anything. So as much as it sucked, I think it definitely taught me some things I would have never probably been able to learn if it wasn't for having to do that. Yeah, kids aren't, I say all the time, like, kids aren't stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, like, before they get, I don't want to say, I was going to say dumbed down just because I'm like an anti-school person, but um, I don't want to <laughs> say that, but that's more, that's more towards college. And that's not like towards like elementary or high school. Like, I think those things are very valuable, but no, I think like kids aren't stupid. Like kids are very smart and like, they know how to play the innocent. Like, Oh, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> that's funny. That kid did that. Now, oh my God. Now, um, like when, from the time that like we were in elementary school to elementary school now, are there, Cause I don't, I don't, do I know, like, I don't, no one in my family has a young one like that either. So like, what are there major differences? If you remember from when you were in school at that age to what you're teaching now? Oh yeah. We were actually just talking about this the other day on the last day of school. We were talking about like, what do you miss from either the time you were younger and you're a teacher now, or some teachers that I work with have been in the industry for 40 years. And I think oh, there's a couple of things. I think number one is just like the fun aspect. I think a lot of things that you I, like, I brought this up. I said like holiday parties. Like, I don't know if you ever did this. Yeah. But like we yes. celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Thanksgiving. We had a Halloween parade. Like we did. I remember like in third grade, a freaking leprechaun came into our room and like flipped all the desks and there was green paint and glitter everywhere. Like we celebrated all of that. And like, Honestly, I understand, like, I get it. Like, we want to make sure that we're, like, celebrating everybody. Like, I understand that. But, like, we have to find a way to be able to do that instead of just cold turkey cutting it out. Like, the fact that we don't have a holiday party or, for me, like, I'm not allowed to have a holiday party is, like, mind-boggling to me. Like, why are we not – okay, well, you celebrate Hanukkah and you celebrate Christmas and you celebrate Eid or whatever it is. Like, let's find a way to, like – okay, you bring in something that represents Christmas. You bring in something that represents Hanukkah. Like, why are we not doing something? This is crazy. That is a huge change. And again, like I said, I get it. But at the same time, like, instead of saying, like, let's not offend anyone, how about we turn it into, like, let's find a way to celebrate everyone. Let's focus on the positive rather than focusing on, like, the negative. That's the first thing. Uh, Second, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. I'm going to cut you off. I was just going to ask. Maybe you're going to say it, but is that a district thing? Like, do districts not allow it? Because I remember when I was younger, we weren't allowed to celebrate every holiday, not for any, like, offensive political BS reason that's out there nowadays, but from the aspect of, like, what I don't, I don't even know what the reason was, but I just knew we weren't allowed to celebrate some holidays. So I know certain days, like St. Patty's Day, for example, Teachers would be like, send a note home to parents being like, hey, this is what we're doing. Would you mind contributing five bucks per student? Um, and then the teacher would cover everything else, get pop and all that. And we'd have pizza parties and get like uh, cookies and stuff like that. Is it just not allowed by the district? Or like when you say you're not allowed to do that, like who has the final say in doing it? And then if you did do it on your own, because if you're like, well, we're still having a party in my class, I'm going to pay for everything. It's going to be out of my pocket. Would you get in trouble by the district? Or like, how's that work? You know, that's a really good question. I actually ask myself that a lot because I feel like a lot of times I, and again, like I'm new, I told you I'm youngest on my team by 20 years. So like, I kind of like just follow what I'm told, but at the same time, like there were a couple times this year where, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but oh, well, here we are. 
where I was told like, oh, like, I don't really know if you should do that. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it because that is what is what I think is best for my students. So I'm not sure if it's a district thing. I'm going to say that it is, but I'm not positive. So don't quote me on it. And I don't know what would happen if you chose, if it's something that the district pushes down and says like, okay, we are not allowed to celebrate Christmas and you choose to celebrate Christmas. I think that that could definitely come back to bite me if it's something that's in my contract, but I don't know. Like, I feel like that's such a hard question because I don't exactly know what's allowed and what's not allowed. And sometimes I think like teachers that have been around for longer than I have have different views than I do where they're more concerned about like, oh, we don't want to offend anybody where I'm the opposite of that. I'm like, why are we like, like almost saying, oh, like I am not the yes person. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, but you're just like, yep, yes, yep. You just do what you're told. Like I would rather find ways to not manipulate the system, but like find ways to do things rather than just like calling it quits, I guess. Does that make sense? Makes sense. You're a little bit more like, um, I don't want to say professional about it, but you're very more so like, I don't, I don't know the word for it, but I would say, and this is just me. And I know like to some people they're like, okay, like settle down is (laughs) if I wanted to have a pizza party in, in, people are like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'd be like, okay, well I'm doing it anyways. (laughs) And then if (laughs) like, and then if like the principal or someone was like, you're not allowed to do that. I'd be like, why? Like, what's the reasoning? Just because other people don't do it. Like, wh- I don't get what the big deal is. Like, I, I need a valid reason as to why that's a bad idea. You ever see the movie? Um, and please say you did. If not, you need to watch it ASAP. Um, Dead Poets Society. Yes. 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 That's how I would be as a teacher. Yep. Yep. That's uh, yeah. Uh, the only reason I say that. Is- I had a high school teacher, Mr. Athemus. Um, he taught very similar to that, and it completely changed my – I would say – I don't want to say it, it changed my entire life, but it was a big reason that, like, I was, like, even when I'm out of college and even when I'm done, like, in school, I'm always going to be educating myself because of just, like, that type of style of, like, hey, there's more to life than just this, I, even though you can't really do that to kids in elementary school because, like, they need to learn the basic things first. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. That movie is awesome. And I think, honestly, what you said is, I'm kind of the same way. Like, there were, I would say, probably two or three situations this year that I said I wanted to do something. And either teammates or other people or other teachers were like, well, I don't really think that's a good idea. And I said the same thing you said. I said, well, why? And they're like, well, and they, like, couldn't give me an answer. I'm like, and that's exactly why I'm going to do it anyways. And I remember I had another colleague come up to me and she's a lot older than me, like on the verge of retirement. And she actually said to me, and it was kind of refreshing. She was like, you know, I have a lot of respect for you as a young teacher. And I was like, what? Why? It's like, I'm not really expecting to hear that, especially from her because she's been around the block. And she's like, because you don't care what people think. You just do what's best for your kids. And you don't really care. You like take those risks. And she's like, there's not a lot of teachers that at your age that are brand new that would do that. And I'm like, well, you know what? At the end of the day, like, I know I'm making a difference. I know I'm doing what's best for my kids. And if they don't want me to be a teacher because of that, then I don't think I'm at the right place, which is risky, but how? (laughs) Well, no, that's so true. And on top of it too, like uh, I, I had this conversation with a a buddy last weekend because we were up in Saratoga uh, golfing and it was his like little bachelor weekend. Uh, The teachers that I remember most, or I look back and I'm 
wow, I didn't even realize it, but they had a major impact on me were the teachers that you hear stories about and you're like, Oh, next year when I'm in fourth grade, I hope I get Mrs. I get Mr. And Mrs. Like so-and-so, or you hear that, or you see kids in other classes having, cause we all did that. Like we might've had a teacher, like there was a teacher we knew about, but we never got to have. And we always heard about how fun their classes were and stuff. And I feel mm-hmm. again, this is just my personal opinion. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like when you have a teacher that is like, kind of like, um, like the energy in their class, even though when you're young, you don't realize it this way, is like, oh, mom and dad aren't home. The babysitter's watching me. No rules. Ah, like you can go crazy <laughs> as a kid. You're more inclined to be like, oh, I know they're going to do that again. So I'm going to pay attention and be on my best behavior because I'm more of what they're doing here. Do, do, like, what are your thoughts on that? A hundred percent. I, yeah, I think you're spot on. And I try to find ways to like make like, okay example first day of school last year I got my kids a fish a pet fish literally 29 cents at the pet store life-changing for the entire year and instead of being like okay we're naming our fish Goldie or whatever I literally let the kids all write a name down on a piece of paper crinkle it up into a ball and I stood at the front of the room they all got to whip the paper ball at me what teacher do you know lets 25 eight-year-olds throw paper at them that was something that was so small that immediately right off the bat, like I set the tone for the year of like, we're going to have fun in this room. But then it was like, okay, well, she let us do something really fun. So then when I needed them to quiet down so we could pick a name, they did it because they respected the fact, like you just said, like, she's probably going to do something fun again. So I'm going to listen so that I can do that fun thing. I felt like I kind of had to find like a happy medium of things to make them fun. And then I think, they respected me and then they were able to like calm down or listen when things got important because they knew that there was something fun that was coming after it. So I think having that, like I said, happy medium or balance between the two is key and setting that standard right from the beginning of the school year kind of like sets the tone for the year. No, that makes complete sense. I, yeah. Cause I will, I feel like it's a, I mean, they don't, again, kids don't realize it in the moment, but that's like a core memory. And even when mm-hmm. like you're, if you ever get out of teaching or even when you're like a hundred years old, there's going to be a kid that's like, yo, you remember in third grade, uh, Mrs. Morrow, like when they're older and have kids, like that's, that's the thing I think that's uh, cool about teaching. Um, but yeah. lastly, before we move on from like teaching and stuff, what are, just cause I'm curious, cause I hear it, I hear it, like there's a spectrum of it and I hear it across the board on both ways to people that aren't in education or people that are thinking about going into education, what are, just from your experience and point of view, what are the hurdles you go through and have to go through being a teacher that a lot of people don't know? Like how um, you hear a lot of talks about how, like you said, sometimes you have to pay for these parties out of your own pocket. You have to buy, buy supplies out of your own pocket. Schools don't you know, do all those things for you. Like what are the unknown struggles or hurdles you have to jump through being a teacher um, at the elementary school level? Ooh, a lot. Uh, I would say the first one is parents. I think specifically for me, I think I struggled the most. And honestly, I'm going to rope something else into this because I think it's so important. Coaching. I think coaching and teaching go hand in hand, especially when you coach and teach in the same district. And I could literally talk about this for three hours, but I think being a young, I mean, I got hired for my coaching job at 20 years old. 
So I was super young, but I had the experience. And same with my teaching job. I was hired at 23. You don't see a lot of students that come right out of college that go right into a top three district in this area and get a teaching job. But I think a lot of that came from just my experiences. But I think that that put a huge hurdle in front of me because I have parents that see me as, oh, she's just a 23-year-old girl or whatever. They didn't they didn't really respect the fact that like, okay, I'm over here busting my butt, going through college, taking extra classes, passing all of my seven New York State exams on my first try. That's like very difficult to do. X, Y, and Z where I feel like a lot of people, and I actually said this to my superintendent, I had a meeting with him and I said, there are not a lot of people that would be able to deal with the backlash that I've gotten from parents and the disrespect because of my age. And I said, and I think that's why a lot of people don't stick with their degree or don't stick with being a teacher or don't stick with being a coach because they can't handle the disrespect from parents. So I think that that is definitely like learning to put my big girl pants on and like kind of not care what other people think and just focus solely on what's best for the kids and what's best for my athletes. That was without a doubt my biggest struggle. And I'm still working on it. I mean, I still have parents that won't agree with everything I say or parents of athletes that think I'm just this 24 year old idiot when the reality is like if you think you're so good why don't you come do my job there's a reason that I'm in this position and you're not (laughs) so I think that's that's number one and then number two teaching specifically I think like I'm actually working with uh, my assistant principal and another teacher in my building is just like knowing what to do and not being afraid to ask questions on like stupid things like how to use how to use the copier or where am I supposed to eat lunch or just like the everyday things that you don't even realize. Like, it's not always like, what am I going to teach my kids today? When am I going to send this home? Like there's so many little things that you don't know as a first year teacher. How do you send, like, we have a specific program that we have to use to send an email or how to do a report card. Like I did my report cards, showed them to another teacher on my team. And she's like, Gabby, these are all wrong. Like This is literally all backwards. You're not even close. And I'm like, well, how was I supposed to know that this means this or this means that? Like, that's stuff you don't learn in college. So I'm working with another teacher and my assistant principal to kind of, like, create, like, a program for new teachers of, like, the questions that you're too embarrassed to ask. Like, here's all the answers. Kind of like a cheat sheet. So that's a, a, a big one, I think. And then the third, and I think this is the most important one, is drawing the line between being a teacher and being, like, a normal person. Like it is, and I'll say this loud for everybody to hear, and I hope everyone in the world listens to me say this, it is okay to be a human after you get out of work. Like it should be fine for me to go out to dinner with my friends and have a beer. Just because I'm a teacher does not mean I can't live a normal life. And I think so many people like, are like, oh my gosh, like you can't have a beer. You're, you teach my eight-year-old like, okay, what do you do when you get home from work? You probably have a beer too. So I think being able to like draw that line of like, okay, I get out of school at three o'clock, like I am allowed to go do my thing and just draw the line between, okay, work is work, you're in your zone when you're at work, but it's also okay to like take a break for yourself or go out with your friends or like still be a 20 year old or be a 30 year old or be a 40 year old. Like it's not always work, 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 work. Those are my three things. (laughs) It's funny you say that because one of my buddies, uh, shout out Elijah, 
he is no longer a teacher. He was teaching um, high school and now he got into sales. He got out of it, but he was saying that kids like his kids thought that that's all he does is just teach and is like teaching nonstop. And they're like emailing him on the weekends or like he was at a brewery in DC and one of his teacher, one of his students saw him with the parents. They're like, he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, what do you mean? What am I doing here? It's the weekend. Like, I don't just teach 24 <laughs> seven. Right. Right. It's crazy. And to like actually hear, like I have literally had people say to me like, Oh my gosh, you need to be so careful. Like you're a teacher. You don't want to be out like having a beer in your hand. I'm like, I'm 24. I, according to the law, I could have three beers in my hand if I wanted to like what? So I think that like, (laughs) go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. Continue. (laughs) No, I, it's just frustrating to me because I think that sometimes we're like, teachers are placed on this pedestal where you're supposed to be like this perfect human all the time or like I feel like it'd be even harder if I taught high school. And I think coaching high school made me see it more. We're like, I don't know. I just think it's tough, especially when I'm still only 24 and I'm working a job like that. It's just tough to be like put on that pedestal and then have to kind of look back and be like, no, like it is okay. If I, it's a Tuesday or a Thursday and I want to go to music on main or whatever it is, like you have to put that, put your foot down and be like, no, like I am doing stuff that is not always about teaching. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I had a teacher in high school. I'm not naming their name and I did not name their name yet, but I thought kind of going back to like what we were talking about with um, the hell's that movie? Uh, I just said it. Dead Poets Society. We had a teacher that we, you know, had a personal relationship with and we would ask them questions just because we thought they were so against the grain and like they did not like follow any rules. Like like how they taught us and stuff but they always like from day one uh when it's syllabus week they were like look outside of school if you guys have any questions about anything at all whatsoever i'm always here to talk about anything because you're going to be spending more time with me and your classmates than you're going to be spending time with your own family over these next time nine to ten months and so Mm -hmm. senior year we finally and this wasn't a teacher i had senior year so we uh we finally like a couple of us we like mustered up the courage just to like waters and just like ask this teacher like about like their life and like all that and the teacher straight up was like yeah honestly if I didn't teach and I didn't have kids like I would love to just uh hit the road be in a band and smoke weed and we were just like and this is like before like weed is like the stigma Mm -hmm. of it. it it's not like what it is now this is when it's like oh if you said weed it's like saying like (laughs) <laughs> so and we just thought we just thought it was so cool because we're like yo oh my gosh like you're literally just like us you're just older yeah I think I think a lot of people and I know that like um how I talk is you know kind of I don't want to say polarizing but I swear a lot I'm not very like quote-unquote professional um but I think like kind of tying it back into what you were saying about you know your outside life outside of teaching I think that we um, just as like how we are in society is we put so much emphasis on being buttoned up, being professional, just like how you see on social media, like everything being perfect, that it like puts that pressure on ourselves to like be a certain way for individuals only when the spotlight's on you, because you know, damn well, when the spotlight's off you, everyone's doing things that they would never admit to doing. A hundred percent. You're completely spot on. I think that that's, a really good way to look at it. And I think like, that's a horrible mindset for us to be in. And I don't really know if we're ever going to be on the right track of changing that. But I think like, 
at the end of the day, it comes from everyone is human and everyone's going to live their life. And it's okay to like separate your like social life from your, obviously like I'm not going to be go doing things that are illegal or like, but that's not because I'm a teacher. That's because I'm a good person. You know, like I'm not going to go out and, uh, I don't even know, like do drugs or like do any of that stuff just because those are my own personal choices. And I don't think me being a teacher or me not being a teacher really would have changed that in the first place. No, hundred percent. I just thought it was so cool because I was just like, yo, what did you just say? <laughs> and, <he's> like, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and not, not he, not, not she, but, uh, she was just like, yeah, that's what I'd be doing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, oh my which God. leads me, leads me into the next thing. Cause you coach, you coach your, um, well, I, I look at you as a two-part coach. So obviously you're a trainer, you work at, is it Jada or Jada? Cause every time I say, <laughs> yeah, is it Jada or Jada? It's Jada. Jada. Okay. Cause I always say Jada and Eric's just like, Eric tells me it's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's just like, what is, what is Jada? And I'm like, yeah, you know that Jim Jada Blitz. And they're like, no, that's not how you pronounce it. I'm like, well, that's how I pronounce it. So same thing. <laughs> um, so I look at, I look at like, um, fitness trainers, like how you are. Um, and then obviously you're a gymnastics coach too. So this question kind of goes hand in hand. Um, I look at it as obviously you're a coach. When I was at, when I was the, the first school, I wouldn't even say the school, but I had a coach that coached me in lacrosse. Um, and this was in college. And he told us day one, he goes, look, you guys are grown men. And if you're not grown men yet, my goal is to make sure you're ready to hit the real world. And you guys are grown men that can take care of your family things. He goes, if one parent comes up to me and talks about why you guys are not playing or why, oh, you're off the team. He goes, if you're not playing, unfortunately, you are not putting us in the best position to win. You're still a valuable member of this team, but that means you have work to do. And the reason I'm doing it this way is because when you get out there in the real world, that's what the world is like. So, and I thought that that was the coolest thing because he was just like, look, the best player is going to play. It doesn't matter. And then the other thing that he did was he always, he met with us individually as well. And he asked us what our goals were for the team and then what our individual individual goals were as well. And then he coached us based off that. So there would be kids that would mess up like a stern talking to. And then there was kids like me who would mess up and get screamed at. But how I was, was I needed someone on my ass and screaming at me almost in like a borderline disrespectful way without being disrespectful um, to really get me like going, if that makes sense. So yeah. um, nowadays you have parents that are like, yo, why is my kid not playing? My kid's the best thing out there. My kid's the next LeBron or of cheerleading or whatever. So one thing that I always like have noticed from afar is in twofold, like with the, with the training aspect, I personally feel as though too many fitness trainers try to be friends with their clients versus helping them achieve their goal. And then on the second side of it, like, I don't know a damn thing about cheerleading, but I, mm -hmm. you know, it's similar to like sports in that aspect where if you're hard on a girl, because you could see the potential that she has, they don't realize that. And they just go, Oh, Gabby's a bitch. So how do you like deal with that from the personal, like um, human level of the relationship you have with them. And then how do you deal with that with like parents and getting parents to stay out. Cause a lot of parents like to be overbearing. 
God, I feel like you're like literally reading my life on a script right now because it's exactly what I went through. I think, and I love that you tied this question together because I think for me, like I have a very unique coaching style because I have that personal training piece into it. Whereas I feel like some coaches like don't have that where like I can look at an athlete and be like, okay, I see so much potential in you because you can follow like a training program that's going for me. Like I can develop a training program for somebody that is strictly based on being a flyer in cheerleading, which means you have to have great core strength. You have to have good balance. You have to be able to, uh, this is like cheerleading turns, but like replace your feet when you're doing certain things. Whereas that's completely different from a girl that stays on the ground that puts someone up in the air. You have to have leg strength. You have to have shoulder strength. You have to be able to embrace your core and put your hands above your head, like two completely different, um, styles of training. Whereas a lot of coaches that don't have that personal training or that sports performance background, are going to train all those kids the same. So I think that that was something that I always had that my athletes and my parents didn't realize that I was trying to be able to do. So obviously I'm going to be a little harder on kids that I see that potential in than kids that I don't. And I think, I think part of it too, is like when you said like, um, if a parent like complains about you not playing, like your coach said, that's, that's on you. Like you need to work harder. You need to do better. He's right. Like that's exactly the type of coach that I was or am. And I think that a lot of my parents and my kids just thought like, so I'm going to use a captain's position as an example. The realism in cheerleading and in, especially in high school cheerleading is being a captain does not mean jack shit. It does not mean anything other than having a title. And I ran into that problem my first year coaching where I named captains. I had 10 seniors. Like I'm not going to name all 10 of you captains. That's ridiculous. And people were pissed off. And I'm like, you're we're, like, we're actually really mad over not being a captain. Like, are we kidding? So the following year, I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like, I'm not even doing captains. This is so dumb. It does nothing but create drama. There are kids on this team that are sophomores that are outshining seniors that if I make them captain, the seniors are going to be mad. Like, I'm just eliminating it as a whole so that we can focus as a team on what we need to do to get better. Well, that was like all hell broke loose when I chose I wasn't naming captains. Now I'm getting accused of ruin kids college applications and like you said okay so instead of blaming your coach for ruining your college application because you can't put cheerleading captain on it don't we see a bigger picture here like that's not what's going to happen in the real world you're not just going to be handed you're not going to be handed the title of vp of your company just because you've been around for 10 years like you actually have to work towards that so that was something as a coach that I really tried to do and it kind of backfired because I feel like a lot of parents couldn't get behind it. They just expected things to be handed to them because they were on the team for four years or they didn't understand that like, you're not going to be the best at everything. And that is okay. But in order for our team to be successful, like we have to utilize those kids that are stronger in different areas. And I think that that is something as a whole that like, youth and high school sports are really, really struggling with. And I have seen it in the high school aspect. But then again, like I also coach competitive cheerleading, which has nothing to do with high school. And I see it there too. So I think if when I'm a parent, when I have kids and when they play sports, I refuse to be that parent that is up the coach's ass. Because guess what? If I was qualified, I'd be the one coaching. But 
there's a reason that those coaches were hired in that position. It's because they're qualified to do what they to do what they do. So I think parents need to like take a step back and allow coaches to do their jobs, not only to teach them how to be better at the sport, but to teach them the life lessons. And I don't know, I really, really struggled with that. And again, I think my age played a lot into it because I think parents are just like, oh, Gabby's a 24-year-old bitch who just is yelling at my kids and not giving them the title of captain when the reality was that wasn't it at all. It was either that I saw potential in them as an individual, definitely saw potential in the team as a whole, and I was trying to do what I felt was best to teach them how to be good athletes, but also to teach them life lessons and it just, I don't know, it, it definitely took a huge toll on me because I think these parents went above and beyond and were super overbearing. And I didn't really know how to handle that because when you're 24 years old, standing up to six 50-year-old women, I don't really stand a chance. But I think, I don't know, I hope and I pray that someday these parents will just like let coaches do their job. You should have told those 60-year-old mothers want all the smoke I'm running up the chimney like let's go <laughs> <laughs> I know I mean no. I really really tried and like I I feel like again like I'm happy I went through it but at the same time like I look back and I'm like you're literally 40 50 60 years old and you're acting like a high schooler what are you teaching your kids that's my biggest problem is if you're allowing if you're overstepping and not allowing the coach to do their job and you're getting pissed off because your kid didn't get captain my dad would have said, go work harder. You're not a captain for a reason, or you didn't get to the X amount of minutes you wanted to play, or you're not front jumper on the cheerleading team because you are not working hard enough. Whereas these parents are like, oh my God, the coach is a bitch and she hates my daughter. Like, no, your kid just is not working hard enough, period. Yeah, no, that's how, so that, that's funny you say that because that's how, well, my mom was always like, yo, if you don't like the situation you're in, it is so maybe, well, I'll say that in a second, what I was about to say, but she always like said, it's either you're not doing enough or you just are not there yet. It's one of the two. She, the thing she told me, which I, I want to ask you is the thing, anything outside of that, she would always be like, it's an excuse. I don't care how you frame it. It's nothing more than an excuse. So the thing with excuses that I don't know if everyone necessarily understands, like, because it's easy nowadays to fall into the victim mentality and like, uh, the like victims are the best recruiters. Cause it's like, Oh, what was me? Oh, I got that issue too. My coach is an asshole. This, 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 like everything under the sun. The problem with excuses is that they're valid. They're legit. A hundred percent. They're legit. But how do you as a coach, um, he like, cause obviously you're a teacher as well teach the kids that you're working with that like hey like the excuse that you have it is an excuse it is valid but not look at it from that angle so basically what i'm trying to get at and i don't even know if i'm asking it properly is like um when i was in high school and i told this to him all the time shout out coach mullen he was our lacrosse coach and i thought he was i i didn't we have a really good relationship but i thought he was an ass because he screamed he yelled he was very hard on us i got to college he was Mother Teresa. I tell him all the time because I see him at the gym. And I'm just like, yo, my gosh, I'm like, had I not had you, I don't know what I would have done because I thought you were the worst. You were a compared to like how co coaches like um, talk to us and stuff like that. And I'm not saying talk to us in a disrespectful way, but what it taught me, which I don't think a lot of people understand, is I think that kids nowadays aren't educated on 
there's levels to what you're trying to accomplish. So like for me, I was like, all right, I want to go to a big time school to party or I want to play division one lacrosse. Like that was it. And so I would always come home from practices in high school and I'd be upset that like we, we couldn't do like, we couldn't run a drill without kids dropping the ball or we couldn't do this or we couldn't do that. And, or I'd get upset that, you know, coach was on me and stuff. And my mom would always be like, well, what is going to happen in college? I'm like, well, I'm not going to be playing with kids that can't catch and pass. She goes, okay, that's not what I'm asking you. What I'm asking you is what are you going to do in college? Because in college, their job depends on you winning. So it's no longer about, oh, this is just for fun. So how are you going to handle that mentally? How are you going to handle that? So think about that from that aspect, number one. And then number two, if you kids around you to be better, what does that say about you as one of the better players? That means that you aren't, you can't be plugged into a system and make kids better. So those are two things you need to work on it like I never thought about it like that until she said that to me and I think that that's something that a lot of kids nowadays or just like parents struggle with they're like well my my kid's the best on the team and I've never been on a team where I was the best player so that's not what I'm saying but I think parents are like well my kid's the best it's the coach's fault or it's the kids around me fault and it's like no not really like you could be doing more so like as a coach and as a teacher how do you like balance that at the same time like teaching the kids that where they're not spike towards you they're more so of like okay gabby's really trying to help me but she's going about it in a way that's going to make better in all aspects of life outside of whatever field that we're competing in yeah have you ever heard and maybe i'm not saying the saying right but like uh you never want to be the smartest person in the room oh yeah i I say all the time i'm i'm a dumb yeah i don't know shit (laughs) i feel like it's kind of the same with like being an athlete like I get it. Everybody wants to be the best, but you almost don't always want to be the best at things because then you get kind of where like your head blows up and you think like, Oh yeah, I am the shit. I'm better than all of these people. But then reality is like, what are you actually doing for your team? You're not doing anything. So I think that a lot of times, like we kind of have to get these kids to like figure out what I love. Actually, I'm keeping that one in my back pocket. What you said about your coach where he sat you guys down and asked for your individual goals goals as well as your team goals that's huge because I think that it's almost like having short-term goals versus long-term goals like what are things that you want to work on as a person but then you also want to work on for the entire team and I think in cheerleading that's huge because if you have like a certain skill that you're looking to get that's going to benefit you but also that's going to benefit your team and I think that's a huge piece that a lot of kids are missing where they think individual, 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 and they don't think team. And I think parents are the same way where they're like, oh, well, my kid did the round off backhand spring tuck. Okay, well, they also ate shit and fell on their face. So the reality is like, no, they don't have that. And I get that you want that for your kid. But if I'm going to go put that in my routine and your kid's going to fall on their face, who is that benefiting? Now is your child not only embarrassed that they fell on their face and they weren't ready, but now you just got us a deduction for our team. So instead of focusing on your individual goal, like think about the team in the long term. So if that means that we need to take a couple more months for you to work on it. And then once you perfect that skill, then we put it in. Now, not only are you benefiting yourself because you're able to execute that skill, but now you're benefiting your team because they have one more person that can do that skill. So I think a lot of like pre-planning and maybe that's something that I, I feel like 
I'm the type of coach, teacher, and person where I can look at a situation that didn't go well and I can say to myself, okay, what can I do better? What can I do to be a better coach? And that's something that I definitely didn't do when I coached high school. And I think maybe if I would have done that, maybe things would have been different. Do I think they would have been 100% different? No, because I do think that these parents are stuck in their ways. But maybe that would have been a solution that I could have provided them. Like, okay, here's your individual goal that will benefit the team goal. And maybe that would have helped me change their mindset a little bit. But I think that I think connections is huge because I noticed the kids that I felt the strongest connections with are the ones that like, like you said, kind of got behind me where they were like, you know what, coach Gabby's being really hard on us today, but that's because she wants us to go whoop ass at sectionals this weekend, or she's being really tough on us, or she's really pushing me to get this skill because she knows that it's going to benefit the team. And honestly, those shout out to those kids. They know who they are. Those are the kids that are going to go places in life because they're focused on the people around them and what they can do to make their team better rather than just being focused on themselves. I think that's huge. And I'm honestly really thankful that you brought that up because I feel like that's something I can use in the future. And then the last thing I kind of want to dabble into is like taking your own personal feelings out of it. That is something I totally struggled with where I felt like all of these parents that would come after me were attacking me on a personal level when the reality is that's not it at all. They're just disappointed that or upset that their kid didn't make the team or their kid doesn't have this skill and they were taking it out on me. And I think I let my own emotions take over and I let everything get to me. And then I started to question if I was a good coach and that's not it at all. I have to be able to draw the line between like being a coach and focusing on what's best and taking all the shit that you hear from parents and just not letting it get to you on a personal level. Yeah. The parent thinks tough because it's, it's hard to do that. Cause I personally think, this is just my opinion is I think a lot of parents try to live through their kids or they have their self-esteem mm-hmm. of being a parent wrapped up in what their kid does or doesn't do. Whereas like with me, like anytime I'd complain, my mom would be like, then don't play. Like I'm, I'm not trying to make the team. Like I'm set. Like I'm good. This is something that mm-hmm. you said you wanted to do. And I'm, and then I, and always putting it back on me. And I was always like, fuck, you're right. And then on top yep. of it too, like you said, I have yet to have a coach where I haven't in my own head MF them up and down mm-hmm. where I'm like, I can't stand you. Oh my gosh. Like hindsight, looking back, it's like, Oh, okay. You were just trying to make me better. Um, or like there would be coaches that would be like, yo, you are soft. Like you are actually soft. And I, mm-hmm. that would get me, that would get me going and that would get me fired up. But I know like for some kids, that would almost get a kid to like not want to play or like do stuff like that. So um, how do you, how do you manage? Cause every kid's different. Like you can't talk to every kid the same, especially nowadays. So, and I know mm-hmm. like when I had Eric on, um, cause when he was coaching at Binghamton, I asked him this. So about like being able to coach and being effective, but at the same time doing it with every single kid and not taking the same approach with like every kid, like what is your strategy behind that as a coach? Yeah, that's, I think that's honestly the most important thing about being a coach is understanding that not all kids can be coached the same. Um, something that I do, and maybe this is a little more like cheerleadery of me, but I always do like something at the beginning of the year where they like fill out kind of like a get to know you form of like, okay, what uh, coaching style do you benefit most from? Are you the kid that wants to be told like, get your shit together? Do you want to be yelled at? Some kids can't handle that. So what is the way that you think benefits you the most. And I honestly really looked at those and was like, okay, 
this kid benefits from that, that this kid benefits from a completely different style. And I constantly have to remind myself of that. Cause I think sometimes as a coach, you can get wrapped up in the, like the bigger picture of what's going on and kind of forget like, Oh, well, here I go again, using Susie Chapsick. Susie Chapsick shuts down when she gets yelled at. Well, I just got frustrated with the team as a whole. And I yelled at that group of kids and she's one of them. And now she shut down for the rest of practice. So now I got to spend time to like kind of dig her back out of that hole. So I think really focusing on the different styles of coaching. And if, and if you like, so say I yell at Susie Chapsick and I see that she shuts down, I'm going to take that extra two seconds and go over to her and say like, Hey, I know you kind of shut down when I yell at you. Then I'm going to figure out what is going to get her to kind of come back up again. And taking that extra few seconds to do that really like makes a huge difference. And I think the number one thing that allows teams to be successful is connections. I feel like when I have, you mentioned this with teachers before where you said like a teacher uh, wants to be there for you, like for stuff outside of school. I used to tell my kids that, especially my high schoolers that I coach all the time. Like, I don't care if it's four o'clock in the morning, if you are out on the side of the road and you are too afraid to call mom and dad, but you need to get home safe, you call me. Or if you are in a situation with your boyfriend and you need advice on it, call me because those are the coaches that shout out to coach Beth. She was my rock growing up, but she, I had that connection with her and I always wanted to work harder for her because she was the coach that I could text at 10 o'clock on a Saturday and be like, my boyfriend cheated on me. Like, what do I do? She was like that one that I could always go to. And I respected the hell out of her, but I ne- then I never wanted to disappoint her either. So I feel like I always worked so, so hard for her because we had that connection. So coaches taking the time to not only like coach their kids in their sport, but just like I said, with teaching, like coaching them outside of their sport too, is huge. Did you actually text that to her? Uh, probably. I mean, we definitely oh. had quite a few situations that I, and it's funny cause I look back now and she was my coach from age 12 all the way up until oh, when I was 19. And then I went off to be a coach myself. And when I announced that I got hired by the insanely awesome company that I did, she was the first person to reach out to me and was like, holy shit, like, I'm so proud of you. And I look back on that and we're now almost Oh my God, we're 12 years that I've known her for. And she's always the first one that's like cheering me on. And I, I tell her a lot. I'm like, girl, like you're 90% of the reason that I'm at where I'm at because I never wanted to disappoint you. And even now, like, I think to myself, like, holy crap, like I have this going for me or my team just won nationals or whatever. Like coach Beth would be so proud of me. And that connection that she made in those extra few minutes that she took to get to know me like completely helped me become the coach that I am. No, that makes, yeah. How are you? So like one question, um, me, okay. I'm going to have to cut this out. Cause I just lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, fuck uh, What was I about to say? Um, okay. Now I know what to say. Hang on. I'm going to count three and go. Okay. No, that makes complete sense. Now, kind of circling that back to how you are as a trainer do you have individual classes are you are you wait okay should I say it differently do you do (laughs) one-on-one clients or do you teach classes okay so I I love this question because it's a little bit of both and it depends on the situation and where I'm at so at Jada I do one-on-one clients but I've actually I used to be practically full-time 
at Jada, but then when I got my teaching job, there was just no way that I could keep up with it all. So I dropped down and got rid of like a ton of my clients, but I do one-on-one training at Jada. But then when I'm working with my athletes and I'm doing like for our practices, specifically with competitive cheer, like we take at least 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, every practice to focus specifically on strength and conditioning, that would be a group setting where I have from 15 to 25 kids all at the same time. So I'm kind of all over the place. Mm, Okay. Um, And what, so when you're, this is something I've always wondered and uh, I'm not, I'm just saying this right now on the podcast that this is not something uh, you co-signed to. This is just me being me is, (laughs) When you have a client, do you get clients that are like really out of shape or do you get mainly people that are like are in shape and they just want telling them what to do? And the reason I ask that is because I have a specific follow up after you answer that. Okay. It's both. Um, right now I'm at like a, a steady point where the one client I focus most on that I have at Jada, like she's the rock star, but I've been working with her for she's almost two years now and where she was two years ago and her goals now are completely different. But back when I started at Jader and I actually worked at crunch out in Niagara Falls by school uh, as a trainer for a year before that, that was all over the board. I had 16 year old boys who have never lifted a, a weight in their life and 75 year old women that are extremely overweight that can barely go up the stairs. So all ends of the spectrum. Okay. And what is, um, And what is like your approach? Because the only reason I say that is because like I was saying earlier that a lot of trainers try to be friends with their clients. And Mm -hmm. I personally, in my personal opinion, I know a lot of people will disagree. In my personal opinion, I think that's a detriment to the client itself because I'm not, I'm not here to be your friend. We can be friends outside, but when we're in the gym, I'm trying to get you healthy so that you can live longer. And I'm really, really trying to push you because I think in those times of like that struggle, like for me, like the reason I like to, whether it's sweat, workout, whatever, even if it's like going for a run is because it is like mental exercise. Like it's like, there's times where I'm working out. I'm like, I want to leave, but I'm like, I'm going to stick to it. And then I get through it and I'm like, wow, I feel better about myself. So it's like kind of a way that it builds my confidence, which a lot of people say. So if you have a client that's either like half assing it or stuff like that, how, like, how are you with them? Because I feel like a lot of trainers, like I said, they try to be friends. Whereas like when I was at that gym, we were talking about before we started recording in high school, it was a sports performance gym. If you in between reps sat down, you had to do 25 push-ups. If you weren't mm-hmm. on time, you weren't allowed to work out. If you were on your phone, you got kicked out of the gym. Like it was all like they had like um, it was like the 10 rules of the gym they had. And one of them was like, you're here to not here to work out. And they would always say people that work out are people that are just there as a social event. But people that are training, they're training for something, whether it is your overall health, a sport. Um, maybe you're depressed and you're trying to get out of that and build a better mindset. Like everything was like that. And you had to show up. Like if you signed up for say 10 classes, you had to go to all those 10 classes or they dropped you as a client. And they were very, very strict about everything they did. But like looking back on it, I'm like, wow, it got me to buy into what I was actually doing. Whereas I feel like a lot of people um, when it comes to their health, they take, it's easy to do it. Like, obviously it's like, 
oh, it's easier to go get five guys than it is to make a meal with like veggies and what you should have and take your vitamins. Like that's not fun, but getting five guys is fun. So how do you balance that? Like, yo, I thought you were here to like make yourself better versus like, oh, it's okay, Susie Chapstick. Like you don't <laughs> have to do an extra rep today. Like, how are you? Cause I always felt that if I was a trainer, I would have no clients cause everyone would hate me. <laughs> Well, first of all, I love that you just said Susie Chapstick. I'm clearly rubbing off on you. Um, second, I, I completely get where you're coming from. And I think that it's all uh, like situational because I have clients that were, it's kind of like coaching athletes. Like it, they all respond differently to different things. Or I'm a lot like you, like I'm the type that's like, you're in the gym for me to whoop your ass and you to leave feeling 10 times better. Like if you want to talk the entire time about your, your life, like go see a therapist. But at the same time, I have like my one client right now where like, I feel like the reason that she's gotten as far as she did is because of our personal connection. The fact that like, I'll say to her, like, I'll laugh and I'll be like, girl, I'm going to whoop your butt. Like if you don't get it together and she'll laugh and then she'll do it. Or like, cause she knows that I won't let her like quit on things, but it took us a while of like getting to know her as a person and chatting about stuff to be able to get there. So I think for her, like having that personal connection has helped us get to that point where like I can whoop her butt. But then I also see clients where like when I was working with like the 60 year old ladies that couldn't even get up the stairs, like I can't be yelling at them telling them like, Oh, come on girl, get up the stairs. Or like, she's going to fall on her ass. Like that's, so I feel like it kind of, just depends on your situation. Me personally, what I like, if I could pick one realm of training, it's exactly what you said. Like, I always call it training too, because for me, like you are training for something. You're either training for a sport, you're training to lose weight, you're training for a marathon, you're training just to live a healthy lifestyle. That's like my type or like you come in the gym, you're there for an hour, you leave your phone in the car, you get your butt whooped for an hour and then you leave and then you go continue to train your lifestyle outside of the gym. That's where I feel like I focus more or prefer more of working with the sports performance side of training rather than like weight loss or I don't know, because I don't know. I, I feel like I can do a better job at something that I'm more invested in, which I've always like loved sports my entire life from basketball to track to football, hockey. I was a figure skater for 13 years, you name it. Um, so I feel like I gear more towards that, but I feel like I can kind of flip the switch of the different styles of training based on who my client is. No, that makes, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. And for the record, I'm making it seem like I'm the biggest hard ass in the world. That's not the case. It's just more so <laughs> of like, you just see so many people that are trainers like, oh, good job. And it's like you, like how you see on like Instagram or like, I don't want to say Instagram actually. Um, there was like a TikTok I saw of like, the Kardashians working out and their trainers. And then like people are making videos of like mocking, like what they're actually doing. And it's just like, okay, you're just, you're just doing that for show. You're not actually doing anything there. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like um, the best way to put it is Jalen Ramsey, who is a corner for the Los Angeles Rams in the NFL. Um, probably the best corner in the league. No offense, Trey white um, is he was saying he was on a podcast I was listening to and, they asked him why in the off season, he doesn't go to like New York, Miami or LA to train with some of these like high end sports performance trainers, like a lot of NFL guys do. 
why does he always go back home and train with his brother, his cousin and his dad and train in their garage gym versus like, and he said that because he, his dad knows what makes, makes him tick and knows how to get him going. And he said that if he was working with anyone else or working out with any other trainer, he could be like, no, nah, I'm good. And they'll be like, yeah, you're fine, Jalen. You did good today. Whereas his dad's like, no, get your ass back up. We're doing another rep or something like that. And he was saying that that helps him more because obviously we're all human and we all want to be like, oh, no, I'm good today. But his dad holds him to that standard of like, no, this is what it is. Like, this is what you signed up for. We're not negotiating. We're doing this, whether you like it or not. And he said that that's what he needs. So like hearing that, um, what is your like opinion on that? Do you think a lot of trainers do that? Uh Yes and no. So when you're talking about that, I'm actually thinking of like a personal connection that I kind of have that I think the same thing. So I had an opportunity to meet this trainer through cheerleading, which is so crazy. But long story short, he he trains out in Denver. He's literally the best guy that I know. And he actually trains Christian McCaffrey. And it's crazy because his company has been working with the company that I work with for cheerleading. So it's cool to like, kind of see he can train guys like Christian McCaffrey but then also train 12 year old cheerleaders but they're two completely different things and we were talking about it and it's funny because he was telling me like he coached Christian McCaffrey in high school and that's kind of like the where they started that connection and now he not saying that he's not a fantastic trainer he's the best that I know but like he could go Christian McCaffrey could go anywhere in the world and find a trainer but he picks his high school track coach that he continues to train with. And I think it's kind of the same thing that you said about Jalen Ramsey, where it's like Christian knows that this guy who's training him, he knows the ways that he'll tick. He knows when to push him. And I, I've listened to conversations they've had. I've watched videos that they've had. I've talked to his trainer one-on-one. I call him my second dad now. I mean, we're like, he's taught me a lot of what I know. And I actually flew out to Denver for a few days and was trained by him to be able to, train other people and I watch kind of the style that he has and I watch like the way that they're connected and he will never ever ever allow Christian to like back down he'll always continue to push him and that's the kind of trainers that I think are the most successful and I think it all comes from like you make your training philosophy what you want to make it if you don't have that passion and that drive to push your clients then you're going to just be at the, not saying that there's anything wrong with like your typical chain gym, but like, that's not what I want in being a trainer. I don't want to work at just your typical whatever gym and like trade 50 plus clients, but have zero connections and whatever. They come in once or twice a week, work out for 30 minutes and then they go home. Like, that's not what I want out of training. I want something that's going to form around like their lifestyle. And I think that is Again, I have respect for all trainers because I think everyone's got to start somewhere. We all have to get our certifications. But I think those trainers that go above and beyond and develop their relationships with their clients and really just try to find, like you said, like what makes their clients tick, like that's the type of trainer that I want. And when you said like Instagram and TikTok, I don't have TikTok because I think I would lose my mind if I downloaded TikTok. But like (laughs) I watch Instagram reels and I like laugh at my phone and I'm like, Oh my God. Like I actually cannot believe that people watch these videos and go into the gym and they're like, I'm going to do what Susie Chapsick did on Instagram today. And I'm like, okay, if you do that, you're going to have a broken back by age 30 because just what you see on Instagram is like not what you should be doing in the gym. But the power of social media is so wild to me. And like these young, especially like these young girls like, Oh, I want to go get a fat ass. I'm going to do 
300 glute kickbacks and they're not even doing it the right way. I'm like, you literally just watched an Instagram reel. Like, why don't you actually take the time to like maybe seek out a trainer or like do your research or I don't know. That's honestly how I became a trainer is like, I wanted to train because I was a D one cheerleader and I wanted to go win nationals and I got myself a trainer worked with him for a year. And I was like, Holy shit, this is something I want to do the rest of my life. So I don't know. I think you got the trainers of people that are training Jalen Ramsey and Christian McCaffrey. You have people like me who are aspiring to get there. And then you have trainers who probably found their workouts that they're giving their clients on Instagram, which makes me just want to curl up in a ball and die. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, that leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you is what is your like thoughts on how we are, um, educated on health wellness and even like strength training because you see LeBron James is the same exact height weight as Rob Gronkowski but they look vastly different and obviously it's because in basketball you don't need to be that big otherwise you'd never be able to shoot a ball um and just like how Rob needs to have all that extra you know weight on him to take the impact from getting hit and stuff like that Um, and then I feel like as though, even though it's still good for your health, I feel like a lot of people, like when they, they don't play a sport and they're just getting into working out just to work out, they immediately just go towards like bodybuilding. And I know Mm -hmm. I have some friends, I have some friends that bodybuild and they are not strong at all, but they look like they could move a house. So in tying and adding that into this was that same trainer, I'm um, not going to name his name that I told you I had in high school. And when I had my summer workout programs, I showed him it. And he literally was just like, this shit's going to get you hurt. He goes, this is nothing but progressive overload. This doesn't take into account, you know, you, you, the sport you play lacrosse has a lot of change of directions, has a lot of explosive movements, has a lot of up and down, back and forth. He's like, you're going to hurt yourself training this way. Like this, this, like the school shouldn't even have hired this guy. And I never, ever once used any program that, the school gave us to do over the summer, I always used his. And I always noticed that when we would do our conditioning, I was a little bit more in shape than some of the other kids that were just doing those expensive things. So um, what is your take on that? And like, especially with how people eat nowadays, because I know, obviously, you see like Instagram and stuff like that, like, a lot of people aren't properly educated on how to eat the benefits of taking vitamins, taking things like zinc, magnesium, the difference between regular water, alkaline water, gut health, all those things. Like what would you say needs to change and what would you say is, should be like a standard for how we're educated? Even if you do or do not take part in them. Yeah. I, I think it starts from the bottom. I mean, being a teacher, we don't teach shit about that in school, like at all. And I do, like, I try to like bring it into like my daily teaching, but I don't understand like why that is, not a number one thing we are starting from kindergarten all the way up because number one I maybe it's just me because I've always been into it but I find it interesting like I would have loved in kindergarten to learn about the food pyramids or then in first grade you're learning about like healthy choices versus not healthy choices and then when you get farther down the road you can learn about the different kinds of carbs because you always hear like carbs are bad carbs are bad like that's not true you just have to know what kind of carbs you should be steering towards and what to steer away from. And honestly, you're never going to know that unless right now you go out of your way to do the research. But then it's, I feel like a lot of people don't even know where to start. Like a lot of people just fall into the Instagram reels and look at that stuff instead of like actually going on and reading articles from doctors and 
different. I don't know. I, I think it's so easy to get access to incorrect information nowadays that I feel like if we could somehow implement that into school and teach that through for kids, like you're getting then 13 years of information that is correct, I think is where we need to start. And then I, I agree with you about like the different uh, training styles. So uh, no offense to any of my colleagues, but I will watch in cheerleading when another coach may lead like conditioning at the end of practice. And I'm like, wanting to rip my eyes out of my head. Cause I'm like, you are literally telling them to do crunches, but you're not even watching them and they're not even doing it the right way. Or you're watching them to do squats and, or you want them to do squats and they're doing hip hinges and you can't tell the difference. So I think that sometimes we have to focus more on like the people that are actually certified or have a degree in this and use that to our advantage and allow them to create our programs. Because you're right. Like kids that are, these guys that are 16 years old that just want to like go to the gym to work out, they steer towards bodybuilding where maybe like, I don't know. I like to focus more on when you brought up like explosive movements and up and down and forward and back and all that, like that is huge for cheerleading where like, I can't wait to dive more into the sports performance side of cheerleading because it's such a, if you actually look at it, it's such an athletic sport. There's so many fast movements and you have to have speed in order to get through your tumbling and you have to be able to explode from your legs to throw a girl from the ground up seven feet in the air and then catch her and not be able to crumble. Like there's so many different parts of it. Whereas if you don't have that background to know those different exercises that are going to work towards those movements, you're just going to tell the, the athlete to go to the gym and lift weights when that's not it. And I think my eyes really opened to it when I actually flew out to Denver and worked with, I, I could say his name. I don't know if he won't care, but his name is Brian Kula. He runs Kula sports performance out in Denver. And I went out there for three or four days and my whole outlook on training changed because I'm over here like, Oh, uh, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And I worked with him and his top trainer over there. Her name's Kelsey. She's the shit. And some of the things that they had me do, I'm like, oh my God, like this makes so much sense. Like we're doing uh, different styles of box jumps and all these different like bounce fire movements that like I would have never thought could really relate into my sport until they started to explain it to me. And I'm like, oh my God, what have I been doing my whole life? Like I'm over here doing lunges with a hundred pounds when I should be doing this. And this is what I should be teaching my athletes. So I think uh, the problem is that the people that are hiring the other people to do their jobs don't know what they should be looking for. So they're like, Oh, Susie Chapstick has a degree in exercise science. And then she has her personal training. Yeah. She can definitely run this D one soccer program. Whereas you could look at somebody else who like for I'm tuning my own horn, but Oh, well I'm over here with my degree is not in exercise science, but I have the experiences of working with different people. And I could tell you the different exercises that are going to help with, the explosion of throwing a girl from the top to the bottom, like the person who's hiring me wouldn't know the difference between the two candidates. So I think if we were to start it all the way from the bottom and start teaching it at a young age in school, I think that that's going to benefit everyone in the long run. No, that makes complete sense. Do you, I asked this before we started recording, I'm going to bring it up. What are your thoughts? Just because like you said, I'm not going to name that trainer, but they were, that I worked with in high school he was saying how when like speed what like makes someone fast and stuff and he was saying that 
it is typically like what makes someone fast is how fast they move their arms and their arm movements. So we used to do drills where we'd be sitting on the turf, like legs in front of us and we're sitting upright and we would exaggerate the hand movement and it'd be like one, two, one, two. And then we would have five pound weights in our hands and we were doing it like the same thing. And then we would put the weights down and go as fast as you can. And you would notice that like your hand speed makes your feet go. But then at the same time, you also have to have very flexible hips and um, uh-huh. really strong hamstrings, which like when he's saying all this, I'm like, wow, that makes so much sense. But then you see so many kids sign up for speed training and stuff. And it is, it's not any of that. So um, how do you like, how do you weed out the people that really don't know what they're talking about versus the people that do? And in my opinion, I feel, and this isn't a knock against uh, like the industry, but I feel as though there's a lot more BS. You don't know what the hell you're mm-hmm. talking about. Trainers than there actual is like people like this guy and like the guy out in Colorado that are like, whoa, like you really know what you're talking about. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, I literally love that you brought up the hand movement and that kind of helps control how fast you are because that was the first thing that I dove into when I went out to Denver with Brian. Like that was the first thing he taught me. And he's completely right. Like if you look at it, try running with your arms by your sides or holding your hands together. It's, it's hard. You're never going to be as fast as the person next to you who is using their arms in that one, two motion. So you're so right. Um, I, it's funny you asked me this because I was actually thinking about this before I even talked to you today. Like how do you kind of weed out like the people who are just blowing smoke up your ass and they don't actually know what you're talking about. And I think it takes a while to get there. I really do. I think you almost kind of have to like create that brand and that name for yourself or like I can look at Brian Kula and be like that dude knows what he's talking about because look at the results he's produced with Christian McCaffrey or he works with 50 high school track programs in the area and I mean he just had a I want to say she was track or volleyball or something who just won the Olympics and it's like you look at these the results that they have. And I think it's tough because obviously like I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and have an Olympic gold medalist under my belt belt and say like, Oh yeah, I trained her. But if I can say like, I was trained by the trainer who trained her, that kind of like gives you some credit towards your name. So I think like kind of finding those outlets of like, look for the results. And I'm not saying that every trainer that's fantastic has to have someone that's in the NFL or win a gold medal. But if you're noticing like, Oh, they're working with, Uh, a high school program or an athlete and you're seeing the progress and you're seeing the difference and you're going to be able to say like, okay, that trainer knows what they're talking about. I think the bottom line is results. If, if you could see the results from a trainer, then, you know, and I think honestly, you're able to tell within the first few sessions of working with them, like if things click and if things start to make sense and question them, like when I was working with Brian and Kelsey out in Denver, I asked them questions on everything. They would say like, oh, I want you to do this movement. I'd say, why? Why am I doing that movement? And they were always able to provide me an answer, which shows that they're not just doing, they're not just throwing four exercises together and saying superset these. Like there's like a method to their madness. There's a reason behind everything. So I would encourage anybody that's kind of getting into the fitness industry, if they're working with a trainer to question the hell out of everything that you're doing. And if they can't provide you an answer, then I would maybe look at your source and possibly go elsewhere. 
No, hundred percent. We used to do, um, we used to do a lot of like, when we would do like bench or squats, we would do a lot of like dynamic stuff where we would switch in between mm-hmm. like using bands, using chains. And they would be like, like, even just like with like bench, like we would do like for days, we do like eight sets or we do like eight sets of two reps, or we would do cluster sets where like your hands are super wide for three. It'd be like nine sets of three where your hands are um, super wide for three you get in a uh, normal grip for three and then you go like close grip for three and it would be a cluster set. So you do three, three, three. And the reason would be like, it imitates it. So like when we would have the chains on, it would be like the chains when they're, um, when the chains are like lower, like when you have it down your um, chest, it is totally different. And then it mocks, like if you're going to like push someone or you're going to explode and things like that, um that's like what what fascinated me about it was more so of just like holy shit like it's almost down to a science this is what needs to be done to make you better versus just like okay go load up the bar and see how strong you could be oh yeah I completely agree and I actually changed my own style of training of what because for me like obviously I want to look good I want to feel good but like the things that get me to look good and feel good are like how (laughs) this sounds dumb but like how heavy I'm actually lifting and or how strong I guess I am. And I, so when I went out to Denver, something that they taught me is like you, the, the style of training isn't okay. 15 reps for three sets. And every time you're adding 10 pounds on, I was doing like sets of three and doing, or like three reps and then doing like eight sets. But each time I was doing a different weight just completely different style of training. So when I got home, I started like kind of training myself like that. And like, I have, I mean, before I went to Denver, I could maybe row a 35 pound for like four and I like wanted to die. And now I'm like rowing like 70, like it's nothing. And I mean, it took me some time to get there, but just, I completely changed my style of training after working with them. And I've noticed number one, I feel way better. Number two, I'm not as fatigued. And number three, like, I I am a big stickler on, like, focusing on my form. Like, if I cannot row perfectly all eight reps, then I shouldn't be rowing that weight. Um, and I think a lot of people focus so much on, like, oh, my God, I want to lift so heavy. I want to do a deadlift with 450 pounds. Well, yeah, you're also going to break your back while you're at it because you're not doing it the correct way. So I'm a stickler on, like, doing things the right way and – not moving on until they're done perfectly. And that again is something that I think a lot of people kind of skip over because either a, they don't know what the perfect form is or B they're just focused on the weight rather than the actual performance of the rep. No, yeah. that that's the, that's the other thing too, is like, I feel that I feel like a lot of kids, they get in the gym and they're just like, okay, I want to be the strongest. Cause like for a sport, exactly. Like I know kids that would get in the gym and coach would be around and they'd be like, I need to load up the bar. I'm like, for what? for what we're not the best uh, the best way I heard it was Devonta Smith who played at Alabama now he's a wide receiver he's the he's the wide receiver for the Eagles and he's super skinny like super skinny and um people would always like give him shit he was a first round draft pick I believe he was a first round draft pick don't quote me um but he got hurt in the national championship the uh the same year that he got drafted in the NFL and during like the combine and all that stuff was going on they were asking him like hey like you know do you think you're a little too skinny to play in the NFL stuff like that and he's like what do you mean he goes we're playing football we're not bodybuilding right right he's like we're playing 100% we're not, we're not bodybuilding and then like he 
it up when he his rookie year. He ended up having like the most receiving yards in Eagles rookie like franchise history. It was just funny because like you think about it, like I bet you Kevin Durant can't bench two twenty five, but like what does he need right. to? He doesn't need to, and he's still one of the best athletes like of all time, arguably. Yeah, I completely agree, and that was a topic that me and Brian and Kelsey talked about a lot when I was like training with them. Is like just because you're the biggest does not mean you're the strongest or you're the fastest because the reality is like, it's the same thing for cheerleading. Like, okay, my flyers that are going up in the air, I don't want them to be big and bulk, big and bulky. I want them to be strong and I want them to have great core strength. But at the same time, like the goal for that position is not to be the strongest girl on the team, because that's not what's going to benefit you as an athlete. And I think a lot of times, like when these trainers are dishing out these like mass programs to like, a team as a whole, like that's not benefiting them because you have like a wide receiver is going to be very different or trained very different than your quarterback because they have two completely different jobs on the team. And I think, like I said, a lot of times trainers are dishing out programs that are just focused on, oh yeah, like let's get strong. Whereas that's not what is going to benefit them. When he said, uh, we're playing football, we're not bodybuilding, spot on. We're doing cheerleading. We're not bodybuilding. We're playing soccer we're not bodybuilding our goals are completely different depending on the sport that you're in and the position that you're in yeah no that's like and that's something that's like fascinating to me too because like when you really think about it on that level like you see people all the time like I got buddies that will like um they'll make fun of like hockey players that are in like the NHL combine that can't even do like 10 pull-ups and it's just like dude what the hell does he need to do 10 pull-ups for Right. Is I would, I was going to help him score. No. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I hope his legs are strong. Cause you're going to need those, but like, no, it's just, it's just funny to see in here. Um, you know, we've been talking for a hot minute now. Um, <laughs> but like wrapping it up. I just, it's some final questions here is two, two things. Like two of the biggest things I like to ask people is what are, this might be a three-part question, actually. So one is, since you've graduated school, um, like college, and now that you're in the, what are the things that you are like, wow, that whoever told me that or me thinking that is just pure full of shit, not like a specific person, <laughs> but like, what are things that like you thought you needed to excel in or know that now that you're in the real world, you're like, wow, I just wasted my time because I that 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 was like a sham and that was bs and then two it's actually a two-part question and then two if you did meet and talk with 18 year old gabby today what things would you tell her oh those are such good questions okay the first one i'm just gonna let it all out basically all of college it's all a bunch of bullshit and i didn't learn shit the only time that i actually learned anything is when i was actually placed into the real world dead serious like i mean I, the curriculum didn't teach me anything. And that's what makes me so sad is like, I actually look back at all of the classes that I took in college and there is maybe one or two things that I learned through my entire four years in my classes curriculum wise that I actually use teaching. The things that I actually remember are the connections that I made with my uh, professors and like conversations that we had, which I was fortunate enough to go to like a semi small private school so I could have those connections where if I were to go to a school like, I don't know, Ohio State or somewhere that's got like a lot of kids, I don't know if I would have that. But I really feel like the things that I learned that actually helped me become a teacher were when I was placed in the classroom 
and I was student teaching or I was watching teachers actually interact with kids. All the other stuff, total bullshit, which is probably so horrible for me to say, but it's true. And it, I was thinking about this today too. I, I think college is so, it's so screwed up because here I am. Uh, now I'm in my second year of teaching. And if I didn't have scholarships to go to school, I would be in, I still am in debt, but I don't make enough teaching to even cover one year of college. Be Like, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. My four years of college, it's going to take me at least six years of my salary that I make teaching if I were to save every single penny of it, which is obviously not a feasible way of living. And on top of that, in order to be a teacher in New York State, you have to have your master's within your first five years of teaching. So let's throw on another two years of school in a master's program now in order for me to pay off all of that. I'm like eight to 10 years down the road in teaching if I save every single penny. And if you don't have your master's, you don't even get your full pay in New York State. You only make 90% of your actual salary. So college is a big fat scam, but I don't see that changing anytime soon. If you can't tell, that's a topic that really grinds my gears. <laughs> No, I'm with you on that because I think it's a scam. And I, like I said, if I didn't play, I told my mom, I was like, if I didn't play sports and I didn't get a scholarship that covered college for me, um, I would have dropped out 1000%. Yeah. I'm like, and not it's even horrible. thinking twice about it. Well, that's the thing too, before we get to the 18 year old guest is my, my mom, like she raised me on her own single. She had me when she was young. So she pretty much put it ingrained it in my head. Like, Hey, look, these are the economics around college if you don't get a scholarship for your athletics, you need to have good grades. And if yeah. it's, it's both, if, if you can get both, that's even better, which I did is I got both. And that's why like the same, the same friend that we were talking about um, the teachers. Sweet. Um, he, I was saying how I couldn't, I hated being in school. I was like, I could not stand school from the aspect of having to actually like learn and do assignments and the homework and all that stuff. And he was like, that surprises me because you always had really high grades. And he's like, weren't you in pretty much all the honor societies? And I said, yeah, I was because I understood what the value in doing that was. Had I not known that and my mom didn't tell me that, I would have probably been like a, a C and D student. But because of that, I was always staying after asking questions, going to teachers, asking for help because I'm like, okay, this is, this is like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Like if I get really right. good grades, if I get really good grades and I excel in athletics, I'm going to get school covered, which I got school covered. And so now, and she always explained it to me as like, when you graduate, your friends are going to have a hundred, 150, 200,000, maybe even less, but like, whatever you essentially by getting school covered when you graduate you just got an imaginary check for 200,000 and so mm -hmm. what I've done since I've graduated is I've traveled all over the place I've just been like look I'm gonna I'm gonna live at home I'm gonna you know get part-time jobs side jobs while I build my real estate business and I'm gonna hop around and I'm gonna go experience things and a lot of friends that like don't like don't know are always just like do you even work or how can you afford this how can you do that but it's not one I'm not paying rent and two I'm not I'm not paying student loans like one of my buddies had to refinance his student loans because he was paying 1200 a month 1200 a month <laughs> oh my god 
That's oh a right. My God. <laughs> like what? And so I think like, like, especially like you being a teacher, I think that like, I remember in high school, it was like, all oh, the kids that went to sh- trades were like the weirdos or like, oh, those are the kids that are low lifes or losers. That kid makes more being a plumber than you do mm-hmm. for your 40 year degree. And now that same kid that when was younger was written off because school wasn't for him owns investment properties, opened up his own business, has his own LLC, while you're over here dreading and drowning in debt, hate your job, but you don't have anything else to do because you spent all these years listening to what the system tells you of going to school and doing it the cookie cutter way, whereas was like, oh, okay. So that's like my thing with colleges. I think the, I don't think college is a scam from the aspect of the networking and the social life. But I think the economics around it and how fucked it puts people in financial situations, I think is like the biggest scam. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you're totally spot on on that. I think the, like you said, the social connections and the networking is great, but the economics behind it make literally zero sense. And I think about it every single week because it, it, it's so frustrating to me. And if you own a business and you have business loans, you have business debt, you know that your student loans are the only thing that you cannot file bankruptcy for. They're with you till the day you die. That's so stupid. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. And on top of it, we don't, we're not educated financially. Um, We're not educated financially in school as well. Like, but you can take finance classes, but like they don't teach you a damn thing about personal finance, um, nor do they teach you about how to invest properly you know, oh, I want to be a real estate investor. I want to have rental properties. What does that look like versus investing in the stock market? What are the proper returns? Like they don't teach you any of this. Right. Which is ridiculous that they don't because they should. 1000%. And now the last question that is the most, I'm always curious what people say. So you meet 18 year old Gabby today and you're sitting down having a conversation with her. What, what things are you telling her? It could be about anything anything at all it could be a piece of advice it could be a multitude of things what are you saying to 18 year old you Mm. I think I would say it's all going to be worth it I think at 18 I had no idea the obstacles that were going to be put in front of me and the things that were going to try to take me down and I'm a very you could probably tell from talking to me for the last two hours I'm a very like emotional, sentimental person. But I think that like, I have really been through the ringer in life, whether it's losing people that are important to me or people just being straight up assholes and trying to take me down. And I think if I could sit there and look at 18 year old Gabby, I would say, don't quit. Don't let people stand in your way. It's all going to be worth it. But I honestly, God, think the number one thing I would tell her is no matter how shitty people are to you, you just got to be a good human back. Facts. And I think that's where we end it. And that's where we end this. So I appreciate you doing this. Um, And then since you said you're uh, Bill's Mafia, you know how you got to end it. You got to say go Bills. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you and go Bills.